1: Last week, we reported Vancouver will be getting some new modular housing units for people experiencing homelessness uh, in the city. Uh, the B.C. government announced construction uh, has begun on uh, two temporary bridge-to-housing uh, bridge projects that will provide 90 units. Premier David Eby says the project will bring people living in the downtown east side off the street and into uh, stable housing. Well, the Minister of Housing, Ravi Kelo, on this program also said to expect more announcements similar to what we heard in, uh, here in Vancouver throughout the province in 2023. Now, joining us now to discuss the issue of modular housing uh, is Dania Fast. Um, Ms. Fast is a research scientist at the BC Centre on Substance Abuse and an assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at UBC. Um, Ms. Fast, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having
1: me. Well, this is a very interesting uh, conversation uh, around modular housing. Uh, first and foremost, um, are, the, are the modular housing units, um, in regards to what the premier and the housing minister announced, is that the right way to go in regards to the specific issues that we're dealing with here uh, in the downtown core along Hastings Street and at Crab Park to find um, uh, to build these houses to help those folks? Do you think it's the right way to go? Well,
0: housing is obviously critical. Uh, to people's health and well-being but my work is primarily with young people who use drugs and what we've heard from young people really over the past decade plus when it comes to housing Mm -hmm. is that they're looking for permanent housing they're looking for housing that feels like a home and we have heard that modular housing which is temporary uh, tends to not fit that bill. So it's not necessarily taking the young people who are a part of our research where they want to go.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and in regards to your research, what do you think the government needs to do at the civic level and the provincial level to address some of those issues? Is it a question of finding specific housing for them, or is it building a different type of housing for that vulnerable group?
0: I think we want to be building housing that is more permanent, that feels like a home, that is desirable and safe. And some modular housing environments are not fitting those parameters, at least in terms of what we've seen so far. In terms of this new housing that's coming online, there may be ways to better design it to sort of foster those those kinds of things, safety a sense of home, uh, a sense of community. But we need to think very carefully about how to make that happen. Because what we've heard is that many modular housing environments can actually feel like the exact opposite. So they can feel unsafe, they can feel temporary and actually deepen a sense of uncertainty Uh, And they can feel sort of like, you know, we've had young people use this language of it's a dead end, uh, which is obviously very alarming in the context of the current overdose crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be thinking about permanent housing and we need to be thinking about a range of housing options for people who are pursuing abstinence as well as those um, who are not pursuing abstinence and continuing to use substances.
1: Uh, Some of... Worried that these modular housing units become permanent. Uh, it's, it's exactly the opposite of what you think needs to happen. I remember when I was in MLA, hearing many stories about um, the challenges that they had in Nanaimo, specifically the mayor of Nanaimo, now Leonard Krogh, and at that time MLA. Uh, there are a lot of issues around uh, trying to help these people who are in these tent, uh, tent cities, but those, uh, but the, the modular housing unit itself is still operating. It's supposed to be temporary. Based on what you said, one would argue it's the wrong way to go right from the start because too often what happens is political leaders build these things and then they sort of move on because there's many other issues to be looking at that they just become permanent, Not the, but they don't solve the core issue of helping these people move away from some of those challenges that they have before them.
0: Right. When this is the only thing available, I think what ends up happening is people are living this in these places wondering what's next. Is something next or is this, my situation forever if that's the case then that's deeply concerning because i want to work on various goals and make various kinds of changes in my life and i don't feel like i can do that in this environment
1: in your research has there generally been wraparound services that are available or or is that still few and far between in regards to renouncing these modular homes but then you don't get the wraparound services that are needed
0: So I've done a lot of research in supportive housing buildings with wraparound services, and we have a study that's just starting up that's going to look at at modular housing specifically and what kinds of services are available there. What I'll say is that obviously wraparound services are a great idea. It's a great idea to embed services in housing. However, we need to be very careful about how doing that can make these places feel very institutional. So Mm -hmm. one thing that we hear a lot from young people is, my housing's just like jail, my housing's just like juvie, Um, I feel like I'm in a hospital. So we need to be really careful because when we create housing that feels very institutional, for young people that have experienced a lot of institutionalization across their lives, that can really signal danger. Uh, and can actually lead them to, you know, avoid or leave housing resulting in street-based homelessness, it can also deepen their anxiety as well as their substance use when they feel like they're institutionalized and there's no way out. So we need to be very aware of those dynamics as we're designing housing Mm -hmm. for young people who use drugs and, and likely more broadly as well.
1: How did we get here? I mean, the challenges have, one would argue, always been there in regards to a vulnerable population. But the challenge, the core challenge of housing, it's not just a Vancouver issue, it's a Toronto issue, it's uh, many other uh, communities around North America. Uh, How have we gotten to a point where the solution in some cases It happens to be modular housing. How did we get here in your mind? Is it just something that is temporary and of the moment uh, here in in British Columbia or Canada? Or has this been sort of structural and has taken decades to, to get to this point?
0: There's definitely a structural dimension. So as we live in societies with deepening, entrenched inequality and poverty, we're going to see more homelessness. We're going to see more of a need for housing. Uh, and when that is combined with, you know, a lack of really sustained investment in permanent desirable housing, we're we're going to get into this kind of situation where um, we're, you know, considering these more temporary measures, uh, perhaps out of sheer desperation.
1: Hmm. Is there a jurisdiction uh, or a program in a different uh, jurisdiction that you like that we here in British Columbia should be? watching closely as a potential solution for our challenges here in this province?
0: I'm not sure if I can point to a particular jurisdiction, but one thing I'll say that we hear from young people repeatedly when it comes to the services that they're accessing, which includes housing, which includes housing with wraparound services, is young people are looking to build relationships. They want to be in housing environments where they can build Relationships with each other and a sense of community and home. And they also want to be building relationships with the people who are working in these settings, providing that wraparound care. So we really want to be focusing on relationship and trust building before we focus too heavily on very medicalized approaches like treatment. so that's, you know, that's something that's really been highlighted across our work uh, mm-hmm. over the past, over the, especially since the declaration of the overdose crisis.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think the provincial government, even civic government, is actually understanding some of the things that you're talking about here and what you, through your research, have, have found? And do you think that's informing their um, uh, decision making at this point, or do you think there's more work to be done here?
0: Well, I should say that I'm very happy to be doing more work, so I'm (laughs) having a lot of conversations with government, with the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions, we would be very happy to work with the government as we roll out this new housing study, which is going to be going on for the next three years. I think there is more work to be done, but I will say that, you know, I'm a qualitative researcher. I'm a medical anthropologist by training. I feel like I have certainly been invited to the table much more since the declaration of the overdose crisis. Um, So that's really encouraging. And I also work with a great youth advisory council that's, that has also been very actively involved in different things that are going on at Provincial level, mm-hmm. but of course there's there 's more work to be done. We know that so much of what we 're doing isn 't working in you know in the case of my own work for young people who use drugs, mm-hmm. so there 's much more dialogue that needs to happen, and um, we 're very ready and willing to To have those conversations with government.
1: Dr. Fast, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed our conversation. Look forward to chatting with you in the future on this issue because it will be uh, clear and present before us in 2023, that's for sure. So if we don't talk before uh, December 25th, Merry Christmas to you.
0: Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for having me and for highlighting this critical issue.